you're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Shannon. And hey, it's Grace, and we are going to start off the month of October with a special spooky episode for you guys, just like we have in the past couple years. Uh, Last year, I think we may have started in September, but this year, (laughs) it's just October, so we will have an episode for you each week this month. So look for those. As for mine today, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a haunted tour of Philly. I have two different locations that I wanted to talk about. And the first one happens to be the Philly Zoo, which is apparently super haunted. And I never really thought about a zoo being haunted. You think of cute animals. (laughs) I've never heard of that. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I typed in haunted Pennsylvania or something like that just to start off my research. And it was one of the first things that came up, which I haven't really caught that in previous years. So that's so interesting. I I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Like who knew? And I, you know, I, I haven't been there a lot, but I definitely went there as a kid. It's just, yeah, there's old buildings on the property, but not really something you're thinking about like the gorillas, you're not <laughs> right. thinking about ghosts. So, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of a quick overview and then I'll definitely post links and stuff on the blog so you can do your own research. You know, you can always go visit and tour some of the buildings and that's always even more fun than hearing about it for sure. So the Philadelphia Zoo is the oldest zoo in America, which I guess makes sense, but I I didn't know that. It was chartered in 1859, but because of complications due to the Civil War, its grand opening was delayed until 1874, specifically July 1st, 1874. And I will post a link so you can actually see a photo of the opening day. But that's, I mean, I get it. The Civil War was happening on our soil. So it would have been pushed back, but that's, um, what is that? 15 years. That's a huge setback. That it was from chartered to a grand opening for sure. I wonder if they had animals there during that time, because I just can't imagine the cost of animals, even back then is so expensive and to not be making money. Sure. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. I actually have no idea about that. Um, but that's a good point. So they say the most haunted building is called the Solitude, which is kind of creepy in itself. Um, And if you're familiar with the layout, uh, it's across from the small mammal house. It was built before the zoo existed. So it was built in 1784-85 for William Penn's grandson, John Penn, as an escape from city life. So apparently John wanted to be as far away from people as possible. Relatable. I get it. He just Just, needed a getaway. (laughs) Just like we all felt this weekend. Yeah, exactly. We were just talking about that. (laughs) Get the people away from me. Zoo staff have reported seeing apparitions, like two people dancing, hearing music playing in the Crypto Porticus, 
And to explain what that is in ancient Roman architecture, uh, cryptoporticus is a covered corridor or passageway, or in this case, it's an underground tunnel. And there's also a light in the attic that turns itself on. The house is specifically said to be haunted by a woman in a long dress that stands at the top of the staircase. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But speaking of the staircase, the staircase to the second floor is beautiful. I saw like um, a video tour of it. And the handrails are these ornate wrought iron um, railings. And they were handmade in Philadelphia. So, you know, besides being incredibly haunted, this old house is like super beautiful. It has a lot of the original uh, features to it. So it's really cool. Fun fact, like I said, John Penn seemed to be pretty antisocial, which again, totally relate. So he had special soundproof doors made. They're like very soft and plush. Um, not all of them are like that, but just certain ones. They were soundproof so he wouldn't be bothered when he was working in his study. So it's just... One other thing to keep out the outside world, because he had, you know, there were servants in the house and everything. So when other people were moving about, he didn't want to hear them. Uh, And also the layout of the second floor is set up so that if someone else needed to come upstairs, they could go around wherever he was They and they wouldn't bother him. So there's like multiple kind of entryways to each room. So that they didn't have to be in the same room as him. I mean, I wonder, I wonder if maybe he wasn't antisocial, but maybe had some type of special needs. That's very possible. Absolutely. Um, And that's not really something that would have been talked about back then. So it's definitely possible. Exactly. I don't know. To go through such great lengths to build a house specifically. I don't know. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So it's apparently always very cold on the second floor, despite thinking, you know, the higher you are, the warmer it would be. And, you know, that could be because of old windows, drafty, whatever, or ghosts, depending on how you want to look at it. And also in the second floor study, there are these really beautiful built-in bookshelves that contain some original books from when John Penn was there. So that's pretty cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Wait, is this stuff tourable while you're at the zoo or is this like special tour? I'm not 100% sure. It does seem like there's some uh, informational stuff on the walls that would lead me to believe that they have people in there, but I don't know. It strikes me as something that maybe you need to schedule a tour because stuff in there is super old. So I assume they don't just want you walking through. But yeah, I'm pretty sure you can at least tour some some parts. So the attic of the house, one of the most reportedly haunted places, is super small, but there are a ton of doors that just lead to these small cubbies and passageways. Like, and by passageways, I just mean like from one end of the attic to the other. That the Crawl tour guide. Space. Yeah. She she's like, I don't really know what these are for. And she was very informed about the house, but I mean, it's a tiny space with a ton of doors, so I don't know. I don't know how people lived back then, but (laughs) lots of places for ghosts to hide, I suppose. And the stairway to get up there is also tiny. (laughs) And the um, 
the tour video was funny because the tour guide, she said she was 5'3", and she really had to, like, stoop down to get into the stairwell. Apparently, the cameraman was five or 6'5". <laughs> and I was like, I don't know how he's doing this. <laughs> I mean, I just don't think people were that tall back then. I don't think you would see really, like, a 6'5 man. Oh, the tour guide also noted that the attic ghost's name is Letitia. So I'm guessing that's the woman in the long dress that stands at the top of the staircase. She didn't really go into details or about how they came up with the name, but apparently that's her name. So the crypto porticus that I mentioned is actually in the basement um, because, like I said, it's underground. And it ran from there to the kitchen, which was kept in a separate location. And I guess that was pretty common back then because kitchen fires were common. So if you could pay to have it in a separate location, that was best because if the kitchen caught on fire, then there's less of a chance your entire house would burn down. So <laughs> that was fairly common. But also because John didn't want to be bothered with kitchen noises and smells and probably the people working in the kitchens because, OMG, he did not like people. <laughs> um, so that's also another reason, apparently, why there was an entire tunnel leading to it. You can't go into the tunnel anymore. It's not safe. I mean, it's very old and it's crumbling. Uh, there's a clear barrier in front of it, but you can see it in the video and it's super creepy. It's exact. It's a, it's a stone archway that goes into the darkness. So you can imagine that it's super creepy. And this is where most of the spooky phenomenon is reported. Go figure. But that's like, where people said they've seen people dancing, heard music, which is an interesting place to see those things because it's it was literally always just a tunnel that went to the kitchen. So I don't know. People were just partying in there, I guess. Maybe that's the staff or the yeah, which kind of like dance their way to and from the kitchen. It's like a dirty dancing situation and the right. people that worked there <laughs> partied in the yes. crypto porticus. So this isn't really spooky, but this is just kind of a did you know. There's a special emblem on the outside of the house that denotes that the occupant had paid the local fire department. So if his house happened to catch on fire, the department knew to put it out. But if you hadn't paid for that service, you know, there was no such thing as a public fire department. They just would let your house burn down. <laughs> So I'm interested how that works <clears throat> because where would it go that they would see it? It's on the uh, front like of the an, house. Oh, so it emblem. was a specific like part. I don't know. I follow this yeah. guy on TikTok and he's this like comedian slash um, like rescue person. He does fire and stuff like that. And he says the hardest part, even for them as firefighters, is finding your house because they can't see the numbers. You have these tiny little numbers like above your yeah. like garage. No one can freaking find you. So in my head, I'm like, how do they find these people back then? Well, there were a lot less houses for one back true. then. Very um, true. That's a that's a really good point to like point out. You should definitely have visible house numbers. I think about that a lot because I've heard that from first responders. You need to have visible house numbers. But um, yeah, 
where I grew up, they used to also paint them on the curb in front of your house. So yeah, really? if you didn't have it posted, it should it would be painted on the curb. But then you, yeah, of course, park there. So, you know, sure. get around the car to see if the, if the numbers are even visible there. Well, Grace knows where I live. I live on my like block. I'm the only house with a yard in front. So my house sits way further up and my house numbers are huge, but you really can't see them from the street. Like, I mean, I'd have to get like two feet numbers for you to be able to see them from the street. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But your garden would probably be on fire so they would be able to find you. <laughs> yeah, they'd find me. Uh, but I'll try and find a picture of that emblem, actually. It's, it's just like a big round thing on the front of the house. So other haunted buildings on the property include the Penrose Laboratory, the Shelley Building, uh, and they're both said to have poltergeist-like activity. And then there's also the Tree House. So the Shelley Building was built in 1972, and that's where staff has reported disembodied voices, footsteps, and in one case, an apparition of a hand pulling a curtain back in an office, which is super creepy. I don't like that at all. Um, the Penrose Laboratory was built in 1901 and was one of the very first animal laboratories in the world. So they did uh, TB testing in monkeys and nutritional research also happened there. Um, I don't know when they were talking about it. This was a separate video that I was watching. They made it sound like a really good thing. I don't know. When I think of animal testing, I don't think of anything good. But uh, so that place might be haunted by some freaking monkeys. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know exactly when, what went on there. But staff has reported creaking floorboards, doors opening and closing, and the sounds of running water. Which is interesting. Why wouldn't you, wouldn't you hear running water? I don't know. <laughs> I guess at weird times and when you know no one's flushed a toilet. I don't know. <laughs> now, the treehouse is one of the oldest buildings on the zoo grounds. It was built in 1876, which was the U.S. Centennial, if you didn't catch that, which I did not at first, and was originally constructed as an antelope house. The most common thing that visitors and staff report are footsteps walking along the back of the building. And it has been rumored that the zoo is built on top of a Native American burial ground. Um, I really didn't find much to back that up. I feel like that's a very common thing to say about old properties that are rumored to be haunted. It's just something that people talk about. Um, I did find a WHYY article from 2018 that talks about a map that details lost burial grounds across Philly. Um, and I didn't really see anything for the zoo, but I will post a link to that because that's pretty interesting. Just places in Philly that they found were abandoned burial grounds. It's cool to look at. Uh, there is an episode of Ghost Hunters. It's America's First Zoo, Season 6, Episode 12. It originally aired in September of 2010, but I can't seem to be able to view it to save my life. Um, most streaming services only offer the most recent seasons, but I'm sure it would be worth checking out if you can get to it. 
and I will post photos of the buildings I spoke about as well as links where you can watch videos and see even more original photos and layouts of the zoo on our blog uh, just so you can kind of get an idea of what I've been talking about. Okay, now to our second location, which is a cemetery. It happens to be my favorite Pennsylvania cemetery. Actually, probably one of my favorite places to be. It's just a beautiful place. Uh, it is Laurel Hill Cemetery. Uh, now, Laurel Hill East Cemetery was founded in 1836 and Laurel Hill West Cemetery in 1869 across the river in Lower Marion. So Laurel Hill East is in Philadelphia and then West, which came a little after, is across the river. It was established in 1836 as a second garden-designed cemetery in the U.S., uh, it is the nation's first National Historic Landmark Cemetery, and it's an official arboretum with a collection of over 6,000 trees representing over 700 species. That is so cool. I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. So it's absolutely beautiful. Laurel Hill East is 78 acres with approximately 75,000 buried there. And West is 187 acres with approximately 93,000 buried there. So you can visit the graves of Harry Callis if you are a Phillies fan. You'll know who that is. <laughs> um, General George Gordon Meade, who was a Civil War victor at the Battle of Gettysburg. Teddy Pendergrass, who was an R&B artist, among others. Uh, you can also visit the original prop headstone of Adrian Balboa from two of the Rocky movies. So I saw uh, an FAQ of people asking if Adrian was actually buried there. And they're like, nope, the actress is still alive, but <laughs> the prop headstone is still there. So that's a pretty cool tourist attraction. And the graves of six Titanic passengers are here as well. Uh, and there's another man interred there, and I'll read an excerpt that I found from a CBS News article. While Charles Van Zandt's name is not well known, his story was immortalized in the movie Jaws. Van Zandt died from a shark attack while swimming along the Jersey Shore. Another tragic tale is that of S. Morris Wallen of Carbon County. In 1888, the young lawyer and his friend Charles Livingston Strong sought one last adventure before settling into a legal career. Unfortunately, they hired a cowboy named Red Dog or Red Bill as a cook and a guide. The first night of their adventure ended when Red Dog quietly retrieved a camp axe and cleaved Strong's skull. Awoken by the commotion, Waln attempted to grab his gun, but was shot by Red Bill. So just like some weird stories of people that happen to be buried there. If you want to do any further research on uh, people that are interred in the cemetery, there is a podcast called All Bones Considered, and it's uh, a collection of brief biographies of the residents of Laurel Hill, if you're interested in learning further. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I have. I have seen that nowadays. I mean, it's not super common, but it probably will be as we go along. But you have uh, 
things that you can scan and it could bring up videos of them. Like I saw like swing dancers that were like famous and on their um, headstones, they have um, a QR code you can scan and it takes you to videos of them dancing. That's wild. I've never even thought of that, but that seems logical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And I feel like things will evolve as, you know, time goes on, like different things and stuff, but it's pretty cool. Are they like carved into the stone or probably not carved, but I mean like lasered onto the stone somehow, the QR codes? I'm not sure I can find you the video. Yeah, that'd be really cool. And it'd be interesting too, if that technology is ever outdated and people like hundreds of years from now are like, what are these? (laughs) (laughs) True. That's so interesting. But it kind of just gives you more of like a snapshot. You know, you can have like a couple words. There's only so much you can put on those things. But with those QR codes, you can put a lot of stuff on them. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I'm going to read a couple stories here. And one is like a super long um, headstone. So a QR code probably would have worked better for that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I did just... um, pick a couple spooky stories that they had, uh, Laurel Hill had on their blog that I would share with you, but, um, I will post a link so you can read the rest of them if you're interested. But this first one here says in 1903, Martha Drennan was the daughter of Laurel Hill's caretaker. At 39, she was an unmarried spinster, imagine, and tended to be a little on the quiet side. On a Sunday morning in November, she was seen heading towards the Laurel Hill train station, which used to be located on the north side of the cemetery. Later, she was seen walking along Kelly Drive. She didn't speak to anyone or let anyone know where she was going. That was the last time she was seen alive. In March of 1904... A fisherman discovered a headless body floating on an ice drift in the Delaware Bay. Martha's brother and aunt traveled to New Jersey to identify the body and confirmed that it was Martha by the dress she wore. Her remains were buried on the grounds here at Laurel Hill with no marker as her family was too poor to afford one. What happened to Martha? Did she meet her end at the hands of an attacker? Did she slip on some ice and suffer a tragic accident near the river? Did she take her own life? We may never know the answer to these questions. So she was headless. I don't. And that's not like a think, slip and fall. No, or a suicide unless. No. I mean, we don't know about any autopsy. This was in 1904. But unless something in the river ate her head, sorry to be graphic, I right. don't see it as being an accident or a suicide. I could be totally wrong, but it's it screams foul play to me. Yeah. Personally. And I have one more for you. It says, if you've ever noticed a monument just south of our gatehouse, which it happens to be across from Adrian Balboa, the prop, <laughs> um, which strikes you as unusually wordy, you're looking at the final resting place of the Drinkhouse Smith family. And I have uh, a picture here right above the story that you guys can kind of see. It's got a lot of information on it. It's a remarkable monument because it offers up the kind of minute details rarely seen on grave markers. Street address of the deceased, favorite quotes, 
religious affiliations and the exact times each family member died. So, I mean, for people like us, that's like gold. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Yeah, for all that information offered up, we know almost nothing about Catherine Drinkhouse-Smith or her family, save one detail. They all ascribe to spiritualism. So for those who don't know, spiritualism, which reached its height of popularity around the late 1890s, is the belief system which posits that the dead continue to live on as spirits and that they have both the ability and the desire to communicate with the living. Spiritualists would mainly attempt to contact the dead through the use of seances, where especially sensitive people known as mediums would help guide the conversation. According to her monument, Catherine was a medium herself. Given Catherine's strongly held beliefs in an ongoing spiritual life, it seems to us that she might be especially interested in trying to communicate from the other side. So if you're looking to track down something spooky... You know, I would definitely try to find this monument and see what you can find. The cemetery actually hosts some ghost hunts. Uh, They host a whole lot of things, but ghost hunts is one of them, especially around this time of year. They also do like concerts and movie nights in there. Yeah. And actually, it's the Friends of Laurel Hill. Uh, that's the what the organization is called. And every year they have the annual Grave Diggers Ball, which is my absolute dream because people dress to the nines. It's like it's hundreds of dollars to attend. But I saw I mean, you showed me the one year and I'm like, it can't be that bad. I'm like, I'm never going to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you wear like costumes and masks and it looks so freaking cool. But I mean, if anyone's interested, you can look at the site, the Laurel Hill site, which I'll link, or also their Facebook. But yeah, I will post plenty of photos uh, on our blog, but I highly recommend a visit if you're in the area, because like I said, it's gorgeous there. But that was just my kind of high-flying overview of a couple of spooky places you might want to check out this season in Philadelphia. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to the family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and recorded by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance by Darren Makins. Join us next time for another case to sleuth out.